when we come to verse 3 in Philippians 2, we are beginning now to unpack the mindset that we looked at in verse 2. So we go back to verse 2. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So this mindset or attitude set, this demeanor, I called it, which is in the form of love, is now going to be unpacked. First, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's all we're going to look at in this session. So, Father, this is miracle enough. If John Piper and these friends who are joining me could be set free from every form of conceit, every kind of selfish ambition or rivalry, if we could be made lowly and humble so that we count others more significant than ourselves, our world would be turned upside down. And that's what we want. That's what the world needs to see. So work it in us now as we watch your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we take this simple verse, simple in the sense of structure, but profound in its content, it has three parts. It's got a negative part, it's got a positive part, and it's got a bridge here in the middle. The negative is not from rivalry. or selfish ambition, not from conceit, literally vain glory, empty glory, empty praise or glory. But, so circle, that is the positive, and here's the negative. I mean, that's the negative. Don't do that. Here's the positive. Do this. Count others. Regard. Regard each other. What? What does that mean? Well, we'll come back to it in a minute. As more significant than yourselves. I want to translate it maybe a little differently. And the bridge is in humility. Lowliness. So if you have humility or lowliness, it's going to give rise, it's going to set you free from rivalry, conceit, vainglory. And if you have humility, it's going to incline you to regard others more significant than yourselves. Let's linger over this one for just a minute. Where have we seen this word? Remember it in chapter 1? I commented that Paul seemed to treat these rascal preachers better than I thought he would. Well, now he's starting here in 2-3 to point out how serious their mistake was. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. There's our word. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. That's the alternative to rivalry and envy. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So when you put this together, what do you see? If, if you have a, a spirit of rivalry, one of the forms it takes is envy. I want the notoriety or the fame or the praise or the commendation that this Paul character gets, who just came lately to Rome and now he's the center of attention and I want that attention. That's what envy does. Now, they can't get it. Paul is esteemed by the believers, and those who are full of rivalry and envy are not succeeding. So what do they do? What do you, what do, you do if you envy somebody's position? You want their glory. You can't get their position, and you can't get their glory. You hurt them. That's what you do. So you try to diminish Paul if you can't be exalted to where he is. So that's what Paul says here. Now, don't do that. Don't act that way. And so he's really going after those preachers as well as anybody else who's motivated by, by this conceit or this vain glory. And the reason pointing out that it's empty glory here is that um, it not only comes from a root of emptiness. The reason you envy is because you're empty it also goes after glory that proves to be empty. Christ is what it needs to go after. Christ is what it needs to come from. And there's emptiness inside, and there's, go, there's going to be emptiness in the achievement of the glory if they ever, ever get it. So this is a negative, don't be like this. Put it away. Get rid of rivalry and selfish ambition. Get rid of it. conceit and vain glory. Now here's the positive. Count others more significant than yourselves. What does that mean? I can remember in the old King James that you say, count others better than yourselves. And as a kid, I can remember reading it and thinking, but I make A's in algebra and my sister struggles in algebra. She can read a book in a night, and I take a month to read a book, but when it comes to algebra, I'm better. <laughs> so what does this mean? And when it comes to literature, she was better. What, what, how are we to obey this verse? That, that wasn't a very helpful translation. And unless you take the word count here very seriously, this may not be either, but it is. What does count others more significant than yourselves? Um, not ones who are uh, superior in skill, like reading or math, or morality. So this is not saying... Go around regarding other people as having 
better skills than you do, even if you're a PhD in physics, regard this first grader as as being smarter in physics. That's ridiculous. It's not saying that. Nor is it saying, regard every person in prison, regard every liar, regard every cheat, every rapist, every murderer as better than yourself who have never done those sins. It's not saying that. That's not the point. The point is, regard each other as ones to be served. One's significant or worthy to be served. Regard people as worthy to be served. And the reason I say that is because when we go to Philippians 2, 5 to 8, where Jesus is the model for these particular commands, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, so he, he was equal with God, but he didn't count himself equal in that he was now ready to serve. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself. There's the key. Humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is a conscious willing to go underneath others and be their servant, die for them, suffer for them, and exalt them rather than exalting us. Here in the middle, canceling out rivalry and conceit, empowering us to to be servants of others, no matter whether their skill is less than ours or morality is less than ours, that's irrelevant. What matters is love, and love is going underneath to lift up regarding more significant than ourselves so that they are served. Now, the key, the absolute key here is lowliness, gospel brokenness. The gospel comes into our lives and breaks us, us, frees us from the mindset of merit, desert. The mindset that says, wait a minute, I deserve that that place Paul has as the esteemed one in Rome, or I deserve to be served and not to serve. This whole mindset of I deserve, I deserve, I'm entitled, I merit whole mindset of entitlement. Popular word in our day. Entitlement. The gospel comes in, and when we watch Jesus Christ dying for us, we are slaughtered. We die with him. We're broken down. And that brokenness is then filled with hope so that we are freed from all conceit, and we are empowered for service. That's what this is getting at. Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Count others more significant. Make yourself a servant because you have now been humbled, freed from all self-exaltation 
in the gospel because God is going to exalt us in due time. God is going to save us, not because we are entitled to anything or merit anything or deserve anything, which is why it then becomes possible to regard others as more significant than ourselves.